Well, this morning we continue our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been using as our lens for this book that verse from Romans 12 of not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being renewed in the transforming of our minds. And Paul has been wrestling with all kinds of particular issues to Corinth, but also issues that if we zoom out, we can see their application to us as well. And last week, Paul dove into the issue of the Lord's Supper and into a very particular problem with the Corinthians. The Corinthians are behaving in such a manner that is unfitting, unworthy of the name Christian, in fact. Um, we have issues with men and women and blurring the lines of distinction between them. We consider that at the beginning of chapter 11. But also we have issues of how we view one another as the body of Christ. Uh, the Lord's Supper was being held at a meal after the service. Uh, the poor are unable to get there on time, being that they have to work. They show up, and when they get there, there's no food for them. Uh, they can't even partake of the Lord's Supper. There are people who have filled their bellies there. There are people who are drunk there on the wine of the Lord's table. It's a mess. It's a mess. But as we have considered, and this is a, a real danger when you read 1 Corinthians, it's very easy to become the Pharisee there with the uh, publican in that parable to look down our noses at, the, uh, at these lowly Corinthians and turn to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that you didn't make us like them. Um, we may not have the same problems, but of course we have problems of our own in 21st century America. Same thing, easy, and Mark, uh, Mark referenced it after the, the reading of Exodus 16 today. Again, easy to look at these whiners and complainers. I mean, what a ridiculous line to say. Uh, we want to go back to Egypt where the, the, the meat was overflowing. We had bread to the full. It would have been better to die there, they said, than to be here. What? A, I mean, it's just shocking to read, actually. Uh, better to die there? then go through this deliverance with the Lord and onto a promised land. It shows what sin can do to us and, and what even, what even uh, empty bellies can do to us. A little bit of weakness, a little bit of suffering, and the grumbling comes out. And not just grumbling, I mean really offensive uh, and blasphemous uh, grumbling. But again, easy to look at them and say, oh, Lord, thank you that you've not made us like that. So we have to be careful in all these things. These things, as Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 10, are for your example. They are for us to hear and see so that we can then turn the mirror back on ourselves and look and see ourselves through these stories. <clears throat> so we're in the midst of a, of a dealing on the Lord's Supper and, and Paul is reminding them of what they're doing as they gather at the, uh, at the Lord's Supper. And he gave them, just in the immediate context to our text this morning, in our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 34. And I'll read that since it was not one of our texts today. Uh, but Paul has just most immediately given the words of institution, reminding them that what I'm telling you about the Lord's Supper and what we do as we partake of the Lord's Supper is just what the Lord Jesus did for us. And I'll, I'll just, I'll start back from there in verse 23. Chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment on him, uh, to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. So Paul is in this this bit here they're again they're thinking like corinthians they're not thinking like christians they're gathering together like they're in some guild meeting at the local at the local temple down the road and the wine's flowing and they're getting toasted together and they're 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 talking business and so forth and if you don't show up on time well then you know what's not my problem but that this is not that corinthians this is not that we need to be transformed in the renewing of our minds this is a family meal this is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. This is a meal that is at the same time common. It's common. And on another hand, it is utterly transcendent. And we've been thinking together over the past couple weeks about this, again, walking this razor's edge. And it's a very important razor's edge. We thought about it in Sunday school uh, last week, right? Where we can fall, you can see it within the traditions of our of, of churches. Right, that you have those who come to the Lord's Supper, and it's it's simply common. It's just a remembrance, right? They they focus in on the lines, do this in remembrance of me, and it just becomes a meal by which we casually kind of remember what Jesus did for us. It's just a mnemonic token. Uh, so we we see the bread, and it kind of reminds us that His body was broken. We see the wine, it kind of reminds us that His blood was shed, and we we remember again the death of our Lord. And and you you can see. Uh, the the effects of this in many evangelical churches where communion is 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 viewed very lowly. I mean, they wouldn't say this, of course, but it's it, there's no fencing of the table. There's no there's no warnings as we come to the table. Uh, it's it's almost like a uh, it's almost like an evangel uh, evangelistic invitation to come to the table. You see this in many evangelical churches. I I ask my students when I talk to them, we get time at the Lord's Supper. And we'll, we'll, we're particularly in church history, we talk about how they fenced the table in, in the early church. I mean, all non-baptized people had to leave, literally leave the room. Um, and they're just blown away by this. Like, what? wait, what? <laughs> so I, I say, well, and this is how we, you know, it's similar to how we fenced the table in our churches. And I, I begin to tell them how we, air quotes, fenced the table. And they're like, we don't do that in our churches, you know? Wait, you're saying some people can't come? You, are you saying they shouldn't come if they're not baptized? I mean, these are the kinds of questions that start coming. Like, why would there be any call to be baptized to come and partake of the Lord's Supper? So, but it's it's just funny. The kids aren't used to this. There, are, Many of them attend churches in which the Lord's Supper is just dealt with very casually. Because again, it's just a remembrance. If you take it and you don't remember, well, that's on you. It's 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 a common thing. Though it's, a, it's reminding us of something infinitely holy, no doubt they would all say that. But the meal itself is, you know, is a common thing. It's a reminder. Then on the other side, you have other traditions, again, like the Roman Catholic Church, where, no, it's not common at all. This is utterly transcendent. 
And they take that to a point where, again, the elements become themselves literally Jesus so that they put it on a stand and they worship it 24 hours a day in Eucharistic adoration. I mean, you can go into a Catholic church at any time and they will have the, 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 the wafer on a gold stand and there will be people who come 24-7 to worship, pray to it. They will use it for healing services and so forth. When a Catholic, a good faithful Catholic drives by a, a Catholic church, they cross themselves because Jesus is physically in there. And when the, when the Lord's Supper is done, when the Eucharist is done, the, the, the bread is put in, into what's called a tabernacle, a little gold box on the side. And when the, the priest walks past it, he has to stop, bow, cross himself, because that is literally, physically, Jesus in that box. And therefore, we have to now think about how do, how do we handle the rag that we wipe the cup with that now has his literal blood on it. We don't just throw that rag away. We don't just give the, the bread away after a service. This all has to be managed because we are now literally dealing with the actual physical body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have traditions that have gone to that side of the, the transcendence of the meal, which again, in both of these things, there is something to be heard. Because what we have presented in front of us this morning is something very common. There's bread and there's wine, things we're very familiar with. These are common Elements. They were common elements for Jesus' audience as well. You know, for his disciples, these are very common. And yet at the same time, what we have before us is a heavenly meal that we're going to partake of in the presence of a consuming fire. We're invited to his table to eat this, and therefore there can be nothing casual about it. And we're going to get to that in how Paul challenges the Corinthians to come to this. But as we as we just think about the, this balance between the common and the transcendent, I, I would just encourage you to think about the very one who is presented before us on the table, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it is in Jesus himself that we see the marriage of the common, the, the mundane, and the transcendent, right? In his very being. You know, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things that were made were made through Him and apart from Him was nothing made that was made. I mean, you're dealing with transcendence itself. And yet, in verse 14, and that Word, the Word, the transcendent Word that was with God and was God, is God, became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. What kind of flesh? Real, common flesh. The kind of flesh with it, which if you fall and scrape your knee, you bleed. When you don't have food for a while, you get hungry. Right? When you work hard and take long trips, you get weary. Jesus had that flesh. He didn't have magic flesh. He had real, common, human flesh flesh. And yet that real common human man that's walking around is at the same time the transcendent God of heaven and earth. He is the one by whom all things were made and apart from whom nothing was made that is made. So we see right within the very nature of Christ, this holding together. If you view Jesus as merely a man, it's blasphemous. It's heresy. But if you deny the very humanity of Christ, 
If we forget that his flesh is real, true human flesh, that he's walking around in our flesh, you also commit heresy. And so we must hold these two in balance together. And you see this here in the very beginning of our text with these words. On the one hand, against my Roman Catholic friends and brethren, Paul says this. Paul says something here that no Roman Catholic would say, though I'm sure they read it often. But but in their theology, they would never say this. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread. If you ask a Catholic priest what we eat, it is not bread. That's the whole point. That is the doctrine of transubstantiation. The doctrine of transubstantiation says that the very substance, transubstance, transubstantiation, trans, we're all familiar with that prefix now. Trans means change, okay? changing of the substance. So when a, when a Catholic partakes of the Lord's Supper, what they believe is happening is the substance of the bread has changed so that it is not symbolically, not metaphorically, literally not bread. The substance has changed, making it flesh. And the substance of the wine has changed miraculously so that it becomes Uh, uh, blood. That's one miracle of the sacrament. And again, I don't poo-poo that because it's not like we don't believe in miracles. It's not that miracles can't happen. It's just we don't think this miracle is happening the way they describe it. But one miracle that takes place in the Eucharist is that the substance changes. It is no longer bread. It is no longer wine. It is literally, substantially, flesh and blood. But the second miracle that takes place in transubstantiation is that the bread, excuse me, the flesh maintains all the external signs of bread and the blood maintains all the external signs of wine. So it's literally human flesh that you eat, but you are eating human flesh that looks, smells, feels, you know, everything like bread. And you are literally drinking blood, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, but you are drinking blood that looks, tastes, smells, everything like wine. But what you are eating and drinking is not bread and wine. You are eating the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. Yet notice, again, the common nature, Paul says in verse 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread, what we're about to eat today is bread. And what we're going to drink is wine. That's what we're going to have as we partake today. However, to press back on the overemphasizing of the mundane and the common, there is a way to eat this bread and drink this cup in such a manner. Notice the next lines. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What we're going to eat today is bread. And what we're going to drink today is wine. But let me assure you of this. It is not mere bread. And it is not mere wine. That this bread and this wine is sanctified by the Lord so that as we partake of it, we commune with the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a mere token of memory. Though we do this in 
remembrance of him. It's not mere recollection. Something much deeper is happening here so that the manner by which you and I partake of this bread and this wine could be done so that we're actually guilty. Think about the weight of this. The, we could be guilty of the crucifixion, of the body, and the blood of our Lord. What we are handling here as the elements are distributed and you partake, we are handling transcendent bread and transcendent wine. Real wine, real bread, real symbols, no doubt. But as Calvin said, not naked symbols, not empty symbols, but rich, loaded symbols. It's like Jesus having real flesh, but it wasn't mere flesh. It was the flesh of the Son of God. That's not, that is a man hanging on that cross. But it's not a mere man hanging on the cross. It is God in the flesh hanging on that cross. And we must maintain this as we come to the Eucharist. And I believe that the Reformed faith holds these things about. We do not slide into worshiping the bread and the wine, the elements themselves. They are pointers. They are tokens. But at the same time, I pray we avoid sliding into the mere casual, uh, a casual uh, use of these elements as mere memorials. So, what does Paul challenge the Corinthians with as they come? He gives us three words that are all in like this little word cloud to help us think about how we come to the supper. So he warns us against coming in an unworthy manner. Now, again, in some sense, I hesitate talking about this because I don't know about you if you grew up in an evangelical church like I did, which just like made coming to the Lord's Supper, while on the one hand it was, it was common, on another hand it was like you have to clean your act up to be able to receive this thing. That that's what unworthy manner meant. We have to think about what Paul means here because he uses the phrase twice. He uses it up in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner, not maybe, will be guilty of the body and blood of our Lord. But let a man examine himself. And then again in verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, Paul even, Paul even looks, he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, looks at the Corinthian problem and, and interprets some of their own illnesses and deaths as saying, some of you are sick and even some have died. And he pins it on this. Because of this guilt, because of this unworthy taking of the Lord's Supper. Now, let's remind ourselves what the Corinthians were doing. They were getting drunk. They were filling their bellies. They were despising their brothers and sisters. So we're, we're, we're talking about some, some radical behavior here, no doubt. All right? We're not doing that. But there's nonetheless a call. The, 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 the word here in verse 27, therefore, whoever eats... This is something we need to hear for ourselves as well. So we have in, in, uh, in verse 28, the call to examine. In verse 29, with the call to have discernment. 
For whoever eats and drinks without discerning the Lord's body drinks judgment upon himself. And then in verse 31, uh, oh, excuse me, verse 30, for this reason many are weak sleep, but if we would judge ourselves, so the third word is judge, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we might not be condemned with the world. Okay, so Paul holding this beautiful balance and tension between the, the common and the transcendent then calls the Corinthians to eat, but to do so in a worthy manner. And how can we do this? The three words he pulls together, we must examine ourselves. So brothers and sisters, we need to, as we come to the Eucharist, as we come to the Lord's Supper, to the table of communion, we ought to do so examining ourselves. Shining the spotlight of God's word upon our own heart. Now, now the good news for us is that we are part of a church that I think has a thought-out liturgy. Right? We have an order of worship in this church that does this for you. It doesn't do the examining for you. I can't do that for you. You, it, it doesn't say, let them be examined by the church. It says, let each man examine himself. Okay? But what we do as a church is we provide the opportunity. We come to hear the word preached and the word partaken in the, in the Eucharist after a time of self-examination. I want to encourage you and remind you not to be paralyzed by this because I'll make my final point and encourage you. But, but at the same time, I want to encourage you to take full advantage of that time of confession. Now, we should be confessing our sins all week. I mean, we should be in daily conversation with the Lord. Confession does not have to be a time in which I clear, you know, I get down on my knees and do it. You can do that. You should do that. But we should be confessing our sins all day. But as we gather in corporate worship, it's a particular time for us to come as a congregation and as individuals to allow the exhorting word of God to shine on us and our prayer should be, Lord, in this light, reveal it to me. Search me, right? That's what David said. Search me. See, it's an invitation to chastisement. Search me, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. That should be the spirit by which we come into worship every Sunday. And then as we're coming to the Lord's table, for us, it's nothing different. We don't have to, as we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, now have some deep introspection, though feel free to look, feel free to examine. But our lives should be one of examine, of self-examination. Again, I always go back to that sermon by Jonathan Edwards, where he says, in all things, we should always be examining ourselves. So for those who come to this table, the only ones who are to come to this table are self-examining ones. And that doesn't mean right before you take it. It just means that we are examining ourselves as we come to the table, that our lives are one of self-examination. And this requires, so what is required for self-examination? Humility. A, a genuine desire to please God. Now, let me warn you, when you examine yourself, you're going to find all kinds of garbage in there, okay? You're, our souls are filled with garbage, I, I, I'll tell you what I think I tell you every Sunday. You're a bunch of sinners, okay? So don't be surprised that when you start rumbling around down in there, you're going to find sin, all right? You're, no one's self-examining to make sure you're completely pure. That's not the point. The point is I examine so that I recognize once again that I am a sinner. Coming to the Lord's table in a worthy manner does not mean coming pure. 
It means coming self-aware, right? It means, it means coming knowing who I am and knowing who he is and knowing why I need this food. It's knowing, Calvin, Calvin again called the Lord's Supper medicine for the soul. So what the self-examination does is reminds us, yeah, I'm sick. I'm sick. Mr. DeVries, as he found himself in the hospital, had that examination done to him and has discovered something. We pray it's not severe. But even if it is, right? I was telling somebody this the other day. It's like, you know, we're going through an accreditation process at the school. It's going to be great. It's a, it's basically a school rectal exam. Okay. That we're going to have to, we're going to have to endure. And, and, but it's, I, I told, uh, I told the, the team there, like, you know, it, we dread doing this on the one day for the same reason. I dread going to the doctors. I don't want them to find anything. And if I don't go, they can't find anything. So it's just nice not to go. But, but if you go, if you go to the doctors, what I try to tell myself before I go is either way, it's good news. Either way, it's good news. Because if they find nothing, that's good news. It's great news. And if they do find something, as hard as it is to say it's good news, because they found it, right? They found it. You know, we can do something about it. And when we when we come before the Lord in self-examination, for us as Christians, it's only good news, okay? If we, we come and we say, wow, there's a lot of filth in there. Okay, that's really great news. Good news, you see that. Because it reminds you how desperately you need Jesus and how desperately sick your soul is and how much you need what Calvin called the medicine of the soul. So examine yourself. Secondly, you discern the body. That is, in in recognizing the sin sickness of my soul, I discern what is before me. The transcendence of this meal. This is not a common meal. Jesus sits with his disciples just before he starts sweating drops of blood and he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. I mean, these words become familiar to us, but contemplate what's, discern what's happening in front of you. Discern what it took to heal your sin sick soul. Discern what an amazing invitation it is to have the God who is a consuming fire invite you to come and to eat at his table. Examine yourself. Discern what's happening before you and judge. Judge yourself. Go through the pain. I prayed it in our, in our, um, in, in our prayer of confession today. It's like, like, no one likes discipline. No one likes the pain of this, but it's good pain. It's chastising pain. It's disciplinary pain. It's the kind of pain that brings, it's like the pain of working out where you rip muscles in order to heal them in order to grow. And, And that's what's happening in discipline. Don't shun that. Invite it. Invite it because as we do, notice what he says. If we go through that kind, if we go through this disciplinary judgment, willingly like, Lord, bring it on. Search me, see if there be any wicked way in me. What we receive is chastisement, which is a sign of sonship. And it keeps us from going through that judgment before the world or with the world one day. What we have before us in some sense is the final judgment brought right into time and allows us to go through it in a, in a preemptive way, right? We get to examine ourselves right now, repent of our sins right now, receive the good news of forgiveness right now, have a foretaste of the marriage feast of the lamb right now, and to walk out with heads held high singing praise as we go as we will do for all eternity. I mean, in some sense, the the end of time, that apocalyptic end, is condensed for us right here in this moment. We get to do it right now. 
in a very comfortable, dare I say, way here at church. Best to do this, even the difficulty of self-examination, and avoid the judgment that is to come at the end. Now, I conclude with this. Again, when people hear unworthy manner, examine, discern, judge, I have seen, I grew up in churches with a lot of introspection, a lot of a lot of uh, somberness as we came to the Lord's table. And if you've been in this church for any length of time, you know as we come to the Lord's table, I'm usually encouraging us toward joy. I'm encouraging us toward remembering that we've been invited to the Lord's table, a call to feast. I'm usually emphasizing that because I come out of a, a tradition that, that was, very, the Lord's Supper was always a very heavy, somber time. And, and we can read, examine, discern, you know, unworthy, sick and dying and uh, and feel the weight of it and we should feel the weight of it but i want to remind you of this he says he says this therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup this is up in verse 27 in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the lord who that's heavy very heavy but let a man examine himself and so let him eat you know he doesn't say examine himself get himself right clean up his mess, and then, when you're worthy, he does not say that. He says, this is heavy, this is weighty, so what do you do about it? Examine yourself and eat. The call here is to come and to eat. Let a man examine himself, and so, having done that, you say, I've examined, here's what I found, I'm a sinner. Great, now come and eat. Come to the table and eat and drink of this cup. This is a meal prepared for you, a glorious meal, not just a reminder, but this meal is a meal of communion with our risen Lord Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. And this meal, this common bread, by the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit, is, as Calvin said, medicine for your soul. So you examine yourself and then come and eat. This meal is a meal for the broken people of God. So as a Christian church here at Affirmation, I pray that we will walk that balance between overly emphasizing the common nature of this meal and of overemphasizing, dare we say, the transcendence, though I don't think you can ultimately do that. But we can we can make an idol of anything. That's, uh, as you know, again, back to Calvin, quoting Calvin a lot today. Calvin said, you know, by nature, we're idol factories. And yes, we can even idolize the very symbols that the Lord gives us to draw us to Him. And we can do that. We must be careful of that. We must maintain this balance, the weight of it by examining ourselves and the joy of it by coming and eating and praising God that we of all people will be invited to this table. Well, let us pray as we prepare ourselves to come and to feast. Let's pray. Father, we are a people who have examined ourselves. And we thank you for the privilege to do it. We thank you that your word is like a lamp for our feet. It, it exposes that which is hidden in darkness. And we love to hide things in darkness. We would so much rather not look. We'd rather not go to doctors. We'd rather not deal with accreditation boards. We'd rather not deal with your law. But Father, give us a spirit of self-examination that we might deal honestly with who we are not so that we can clean everything up, for we cannot clean everything up. But nonetheless, you have called us to merely repent, to turn from our sin, 
and to turn to the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we do that today. And we come before you with great thanks for what you've done for us, which is represented so beautifully and transcendently in this meal. So bless us in our conscience and strengthen us by your spirit, we pray. For we ask this in Jesus' name.